there's a new class of blockbuster drugs. Drugs like Ozempic. They're changing bodies. And all of a sudden, just the weight starts falling off. Fortunes. It just got too expensive. They're just bank breakers. And industries. There was a lot of excitement. There was a lot of skepticism. The impact of these drugs from business to health is just beginning. From the journal, Trillion Dollar Shot. Find it in the journal feed wherever you get your podcasts. Today is Friday, June 19th, 2020. On this day in 1903, one of the most infamous Italians in history was arrested for neither the first nor the last time. Benito Mussolini lived in Switzerland from 1902 through 1904, and sources from that period don't provide a lot of details as to his actual crimes. But we do get a clear picture of what the future dictator was like as a 19-year-old. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a ParCast original. Today we're covering the arrest of political agitator and future dictator Benito Mussolini in Bern, Switzerland. Now let's go back to June 19th, 1903. Mussolini squinted as the sunlight pierced his eyelids. He began to sit up, but his back was sore and there was a crick in his neck. Sleeping on a park bench will do that to you. Once he did manage to pry himself up off of the stone, he looked around at the park. It was a beautiful summer day. The wealthy citizens of Bern were out in force, enjoying games of cricket or picnicking on the grass. Capitalist pigs, while they were at their leisure, Thousands around them toiled away in the factories, no days off, no medical attention, meager pay. Well, not for too much longer, if he had anything to say about it. Soon, he would lead the Italian emigrant workers of Switzerland in a rebellion against their wealthy masters. And then, as their leader, he would usher them into revolution. Eventually, he would head home and do something similar in Italy. The Democrats would die, the church would die, and he would be all that was left, ruling over Italy as a man of the people. But first, he needed breakfast. Mussolini wandered out into the park, eyeing the picnic spreads to see what grabbed his attention. A baguette with cheese would do nicely. There were two Englishwomen chatting away incessantly on their blanket, their backs turned to their basket. He took the opportunity to sneak up behind them, leaning on a tree as he kneeled down toward the food. Mussolini snaked his fingers underneath the handle, lifting, lifting, until success. He snaked the basket around the tree, took a beat to make sure he was still undetected, then raced, basket in hand, for the safety of the city streets. He strolled down the sidewalk, feeling superior at this small victory against the capitalists. Leaning against a wall in an alley, he opened the basket to find ham sandwiches within. Not exactly a baguette with cheese, but nothing to frown at. As he munched, he pondered what to do with the rest of his day. 
Perhaps he could go see that widow again, the one with the sundress. No, he needed to make sure the other Italians were still preparing to strike, needed to be sure that they were ready to do what was necessary. The great French philosopher Georges Sorel always said that every decadent liberal democracy could only be overthrown by the use of direct action. That meant violence. In just a few days' time, he and all of the workers at the factory would gather in front of the building. When the bourgeois sent their gendarmerie, Mussolini's crew would reveal the pistols, rifles, and blades beneath their coats. They would charge forward a glorious wall of masculine vengeance and seize their future. Of course, Mussolini would have to leave the actual fighting up to the local Italian community. They needed to learn to fend for themselves, and he would soon be on to the next Swiss community, ready to spread his message of revolution. As he made his way through town and toward the meeting house, he came across a square filled with people. At the head of the crowd, there was a speaker, a Belgian socialist that Mussolini recognized. But Mussolini was no fan. This man didn't believe in violence. He wasn't willing to take things far enough to advance the cause. He thought that the capitalists would just roll over and give the workers their rights, as if a man could be given that which was already his. Mussolini pushed forward, beginning to heckle the speaker. He said, Oh yes, big man with big ideas, such a strong man who's willing to talk and talk and nothing else. Some audience members shouted him down, others sided with him. Before long, the whole crowd was in an uproar. He smiled to himself, mission accomplished. But as Mussolini turned to continue his way across town, he was shocked to see a squad of local policemen waiting at the edge of the square. And they weren't here to quell the riot. No, they were staring right at him. He didn't wait. He turned, pushing his way through the crowd, trying to lose himself amongst the rabble. But they were on him from all sides, on horseback and on foot, with clubs and chains. The crowd dissipated, just thankful that the police weren't after them. Mussolini was left alone to be beaten into submission as his hands were bound and they loaded him into the back of a wagon. Soon he was being dragged through the dark stone corridors of the penitentiary. He was fingerprinted and then introduced to his new home, a five by five cell. Next, we'll discuss what Mussolini gleaned from his time in Switzerland and how it informed his political career going forward. Now, back to the story. 19-year-old Benito Mussolini entered Switzerland a naive young man, but he left full of ideas and with nearly a dozen arrests under his belt. Early on in his time in Switzerland, he made the acquaintance of Angelica Balabanov, a socialist activist in the Swiss town of Luzanne. She immediately recognized a certain selfishness in him. He seemed too interested in how revolution might serve him and elevate his status. He talked a lot about how much he hated the clergy, but he never seemed to speak positively about the future the socialists were trying to create. 
Nevertheless, Balabanov introduced him to the work of various philosophers, welcoming him into the world of higher thought. She likely hoped that he would be moved by the likes of Karl Marx, with whom she was friends, and these early socialist thinkers did leave an impact. However, Mussolini gravitated more toward French philosopher Georges Sorel. According to history professor Charles F. Dalzell, Sorel's claims of the need for overthrowing decadent liberal democracy and capitalism by the use of violence, direct action, and the general strike made a deep impression on Mussolini, as did his neo-Machiavellian ideas of manipulating the masses by appealing to their emotions. That last bit is important, as it speaks to how Mussolini really used socialism as a tool to his own personal ends. It wasn't something that he actually deeply believed in. Balabanov recognized this, but thousands and soon millions would fail to. He went from town to town, sparking revolt. The details of these exploits are scarce, but it seems that in some cases, just the threat of violence was enough to get Mussolini arrested and kicked out of town. Socialism and anarchism were gripping the world at the turn of the century, and those in power were terrified of the effects it could have on their dominion. It was best to stamp the fire out before it had a chance to spread. Ultimately, Mussolini's Swiss sojourn was not destined to be the beginning of a great revolution. Instead, it was an opportunity for him to cobble together his Frankenstein worldview. Ironically, his time abroad also made him more of an Italian nationalist. He saw his people being exploited for their labor and felt that, at the very least, if they were going to labor, it should be for the glory of Italy, not some other country. And he quickly saw how easy it was to anger working-class people if you simply played on their hate of the ruling class. Class disparity is a universal grievance. Returning to Italy in 1904, he was armed with new knowledge that would lead to a meteoric rise. By 1915, he was the most prominent socialist journalist in all of Italy, and soon the most controversial. His fellow socialists learned firsthand just how flexible Mussolini's beliefs were. He left the party and declared his support for Italy's entry into World War I. This went against everything they believed in. War, as far as the socialists were concerned, just meant the working class getting killed for the benefit of those in power. But Mussolini, still nurturing a nationalist streak after his time in Switzerland, saw the war as an opportunity for Italy to become a global power. When that didn't work, he blamed it on his old friends, the socialists. And before long, he had his own party, the fascists. They were ready to carry out the violence Sorel had always talked about. Their crimes would plague Italy for years, until October 1922, when Mussolini committed his greatest act of villainy yet, marching on Rome and taking over the government. He was soon prime minister. Italy had decades of fascism in store, decades that culminated in the greatest crime of all, the deportation of thousands of Italian Jews to German concentration camps.
Thanks for listening to Today in True Crime. I'm Vanessa Richardson. If you want to learn more about Mussolini, check out the ParCast original, Dictators. The two-part pilot covers Mussolini's ascendancy and downfall. Today in True Crime was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Dick Schroeder, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Joshua Kern. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Greg Castro, with writing assistance by Nora Battelle. I'm Vanessa Richardson. 